Welcome to the Cocktail Guru Podcast. A show about food, drink, and entertainment. With a tight focus on the good life. And all things delicious, luxurious, and fun. I'm Jonathan Pogash, bartender, author, TV personality, and founder of The Cocktail Guru. And I'm Jeffrey Pogash, wine and spirits professional, author, insatiable collector of culinary ephemera, and so people tell me, an engaging raconteur. And my dad. Hi, Dad. How's it going today? Oh, just great, John. How are you? I have some very, very exciting news. Do you want to hear it? I certainly do. <laughs> well, Go right ahead. This little podcast, the Cocktail Guru podcast, is officially a winner of a Telly Award. Yay. You know, we yes, don't really long, long overdue. You're right, long overdue. We don't really. I don't like to boast. I'm I'm a humble, humble man. Um, but this is a it's it's quite a nice honor. And you know, people in our category, the other studios that were in the category of our production company, First Real Entertainment, were studios like Amazon and Paramount and uh, WGBH. It's crazy. Mar- Marvel. Marvel, Marvel Studios. I know. So also. this, so we won the Silver Award for online series. Um, so yeah, we are officially an award-winning uh, podcast series. Well, I must say we haven't had a lot to boast about in the past, but now we can uh, toot our own horn, so to speak. I couldn't do it without you, Dad. I really couldn't. Well, we could. I couldn't do it without you. We couldn't do it without Carrie and Philip and Margaret. That's right. Our, our production team. intrepid crew. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, this this episode that we're recording now comes out right smack in the middle of Tales of the Cocktail, which is a big cocktail festival that happens every year in New Orleans, industry and uh, consumers as well. And we are doing live recordings during Tales of the Cocktail, which is going to be a lot of fun. So those episodes will air in August. I'm really excited about that, John. It looks like it'll be another great year at Tales of the Cocktail. Uh, do you have you have a cocktail in your hand? I, I believe is that correct? Well, here it is in hand. What is it? In a hurricane glass, which is the appropriate glass for this particular cocktail. It comes from our next guest. This is his cocktail, one of yep. his many cocktails called yep. the D and D. D and D. It is absolutely delicious. It's made with rum. It has um, some and yeah, and you know, I mean, it's a little bit of '90s pop culture, right? You know what that. Stands for dad, right? D&D. Yes, I do. (laughs) And? Yes, well, the second D is date. (laughs) Well, (laughs) yes. (laughs) I'm trying to remember what the first one is. For me, in my mind, D&D is like, uh, well, dark and datey is what it officially stands for. No, it's dark. Dark and datey. But I always think when I think of D&D, I think of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, oh, yes. because that's what it, that's kind of what it elicits. I don't think that that was necessarily right. the intent of the cocktail itself, but, um, and then there's also, um, uh, um, art, art bringing out, coming into the mix for this as well. And, um, in any case, we'll, we'll bring on our guest and he can officially, he can talk more, um, elaborately about. Yes, but it's dark and dating. It's case. dark and dating. Yes, for like, sure. Like a dark, similar to a dark and stormy, but similar to a dark and stormy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's let's do a little Luscious. intro and br- let's let's do a little intro and bring him on, shall we? Well, wait a second. What? I thought we were going to discuss something else first. We are one of my other great loves. What? Yes, food. Okay. 
Yes, I was going to mention that uh, I've been roaming the streets of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Not Philadelphia, but Bethlehem in search of great cheesesteaks. And I've been devoting a good amount of time doing this. A good amount of my life has been devoted to seeking out the best hamburgers, hot dogs, and now cheesesteaks. And I found quite a few that I really love. And some of the places that I've been to in Bethlehem are Eli's and Mint Gastro Pub, both of which have really good cheesesteaks. Mm. Also, Carl's Corner Deli is another. And there is uh, one called Whiz Kids, and they uh -huh. all produce really nice cheesesteaks. But recently, like a few days ago, I met the owner of a place that I hadn't been to because it's not in Bethlehem. It's actually in Phillipsburg, New Jersey, across the river, across the Delaware River from Pennsylvania, from a town called Regalsville. You crossed it in a small I crossed, canoe. I walked, I, no, I walked across the bridge, like beautiful old historic bridge yeah, yeah. Uh, built by the Roebling Company, the same mm -hmm. company that built the Brooklyn Bridge, as a mm -hmm. matter of fact. And I walked across and discovered this gorgeous 19th century home that had been fully restored and is now a bar and restaurant called Hoots, Hoots Bar and Grill. Mm. And I had not only the hot dogs there, which are made with this special Hungarian uh, onion sauce, yeah. but also uh, the cheesesteaks. I, I ordered a cheesesteak and it was absolutely fantastic. And I wanted to mention that because it is one of the best cheesesteaks I've had. Wow. Hoots well, thanks. and Grill. Thanks for that story. And, you know, I just thought of um, the actual reference and I had to look back at our, our guest's book and that um, Melrose Place. You used to watch that show, Dad, right? You're a big Melrose yes. Place fan? Yes. This, the D&D &D is a tribute <laughs> to Melrose Place. It is, yes, because Heather Locklear's character, her ad agency was D&D. D&D. &D. Ah, yes, D &D. of course. It. There it is. It was in my brain. Um, but in any case, we have a, a wonderful guest today. He is an author, mixologist, philanthropist, and cocktail bartending consultant. His experience in the industry is impressive. He started his career at the legendary um, Speakeasy Bar, or uh, Neo Neo Speakeasy, <laughs> we can say. Yeah. Um, PDT, which stands for Please Don't Tell, of course. And the great restaurant, Ramen Noodle Bar, uh, Lucky Peach, uh, better known as Momofuku, um, uh, the Chang Group. Uh, <laughs> David Chang. David, David, David Chang. Chang. That's right. <laughs> I, I feel like a, a boomer um, trying to think of all these uh, references. So he's the creator of... of uh, the non-alcoholic botanical aperitif Proto, uh, which sounds really delicious, uh, and mm -hmm. we'll talk about that too. But he's written two books, uh, the latest of which is called Saved by the Bellini and other 90s-inspired cocktails. Our guest today, we will bring him on in just one moment. There's nothing better than the smell of coffee in the morning. What if you could enjoy a coffee subscription of fresh, roasted specialty coffee while making a difference in the lives of the farmers that grow it? What if you also had access to a virtual coffee community of other coffee lovers and the coffee farmer and roaster? That's all part of the Farm to Cup Coffee Club subscription at Unleashed Coffee. Subscribe today. UnleashedCoffee.com 
And here we are, John DeBerry. Hello, John. Hi. I love how Welcome, you drew out the intro so dramatically. <laughs> I love it is, it. yes. We're, we're pretty dramatic here at the Cocktail Guru um, podcast. But uh, John, before we get into it, we always ask our guests, what is your uh, desert island cocktail? Desert Island cocktail. So or it has drink. To be it doesn't a, have to be a cocktail. Be, it could be any drink. Oh, if it's, if it's a Desert Island drink, I'm going to be practical and go with sparkling water because I think that would probably keep me alive the longest. That is the second best answer we've ever had. <laughs> you know That's why? The, the first best answer was from a mixologist, and he said <laughs> water. I, I remember the answer very well because we, we don't usually get water as an answer and I'm i think i watched too much survivor to to right. answer that question yes. with an actual cocktail yes. that's right yes. um, <laughs> well mine mine might be the D. that might that. be my new favorite drink D. so you so you so the D is from um john's book saved by the bellini which of course the title is outstanding and amazing of course it, it refers to saved by the bell um right. <laughs> and we'll talk about john's book um obviously during this uh, interview, but we want to kind of go back and try and uh, figure out how John got into um, <laughs> hospitality here. So uh, according to my dad's thorough research, it says that when you were 14 years old, uh, you worked as a server in a cafe and that it wasn't in, exactly in Connecticut. Your, in Connecticut and it wasn't exactly wow. your cup of tea. Is that is that not right? Wow. Where did you find that? That's amazing. I don't know. Are there like employment like, records that you go to like the town hall of Grand Connecticut? I do. I comb the archive. I would not archive. put it past him. I would not put it past him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I worked at this little little restaurant called Mealy Mello. Um, and the idea of having like a schedule and having to show up to something was never really something that vibed with me, like with school as well. So I was like, wait, I can't work whenever I want and not work whenever I don't want to. And they were like, no. And I was like, oh, okay. And it didn't last very long. I was also 14. So there's yeah. that. Hmm. Did they have a, a place in Manhattan as well? I don't know. Possibly. It's still there. Really- they've expanded. Yeah. Uh, they've gone from a little kind of hole in the wall to like a huge, almost like half a block on the main street in Greenwich. So whatever they're so doing, this, they're doing it right. So this job as a waiter was mm-hmm. being done uh, while you were in high school, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. then early high school. Then you transitioned to college, mm-hmm. and you went to a fantastic school in Manhattan called Columbia University. That's right. And you did not study um, hospitality while you were there. You studied Japanese history, That's which correct. is quite quite an achievement and accomplishment. Yeah, where, where did that interest uh, come from? Uh, well, it was kind of a little bit of like a, a nepotism situation where my uh, grandfather uh, was a professor at Columbia, uh, I think for a total of uh, like 60 years or something like oh, that, wow. some, some absurd amount of time. And he was one of the kind of foundational figures of the study of East Asia in kind of the West, or at least in, in, in the United States. Hmm. And he had sort of written a lot of textbooks and done a lot of translations um, that a lot of colleges and you know teachers used to, to teach, you know, Japanese history and Japanese culture, as well as Korean and Chinese. Um, and so it was always in my family. And it was always something that was very, like, kind of a big deal for us. Like my dad uh, 
lived there when he was 13. He went to middle school in Kyoto. Um, I started to teach myself Japanese when I was 13 to be able to play Japanese video games, uh, you know, because back in the 90s, the video games would come out in Japan like two yeah. years before they would come out in the States. So it was right. like my way of getting an edge. I also like loved anime. And I was like that kid. I was that like little dorky white kid in Grand <laughs> Connecticut who loved Japan. Um, and then it just sort of, it seemed like a very natural thing to study. Um, I love studying languages. You know, I speak French and Japanese and a little bit of German and a little bit of Chinese. So it just made sense um, to major in it. And um, I, I, it was, it was amazing. It was, it was awesome. And it was a really cool thing to learn. Um, and indirectly Columbia is responsible for my uh, hospitality career because my, um, uh, uh, someone who I shared an apartment with uh, in for, uh, sophomore year. And I think maybe, yeah, sophomore year, because we were two years apart. Uh, Don Lee uh, was the one who got me the job at, at PDT. So um, all thanks to Columbia. <laughs> oh, wow. So you and, so you and Don were uh, roommates? Yeah, we were college buddies. We worked at Murray's Cheese together. I don't know oh, wow. if, if you caught that also in your in your research, but I worked at Murray's Cheese, which is this iconic cheese shop uh, in Grand Village. Oh, yeah. We, yeah. And it was the old, the old Cornelia Street location that was like a mm. butcher shop. It smelled, I don't want to say bad. It just smelled a lot. It smelled, it was a, a very intense olfactory very uh, lands, landscape. Stinky, stinky cheese. <laughs> so that was sort of like one of the first like culinary jobs where I learned about like kind of very deep culinary nerdery. And then that just kind of kept going um, into But, but also as an aside, when you were studying at Columbia, you've ended up taking a bartending mixology right. class yes. inadvert inadvertently. Well, it was sort of an, ex it was sort of, uh, um, okay. So, uh, my mom was the person who urged me to get a fake ID. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> my mom was me, like, you're, you're not going to be cool unless you can go out. You just got to get a fake ID. Like it was and like so my did first. She, did she give you like the name? She of didn't help me. Does... She didn't help me get a fake ID, but she basically was like, you got to do this. And it was like a week before nine 11. So oh. it was right before everyone started to get very intense about IDs, you know, this yeah. is like before the TSA and it, you could just get a fake ID. And like, there's a lot of the measures that were put in place, uh, you know, made it impossible afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, so I got a really, really, really good fake New Jersey license. Um, and the Columbia bar bartending uh, course, which wasn't actually officially affiliated with like literally Columbia, it was like a separate agency that, that did it, but they taught out of the, in the building. Um, they, took my, they, they believed it. And, you know, a lot of every place believed it. I never had an issue with it. And so it was a way for me to, to drink on Thursday nights, uh, my freshman year of college. Yeah. Well, I've, I've heard of, I've heard of other people. <laughs> I didn't learn Columbia. very much, but yeah. I've heard of other people who went to Columbia who, um, who took that class as well. It, it I, kind of bring, brings back memories. I'm far older than, than the two of you. But when I, was in the at the beginning of my career representing the wine producers of Alsace in northeastern oh. France, which is 1977. That's when I started. I was asked by some students at Columbia University to teach wine classes hmm. cool. at the university, and that was conducted directly by students at Columbia. Hmm. So this this goes way back to the yeah. old days, and I did several classes there and had a wonderful time. And the students were exceptionally attentive and um, and bright, and uh, and that that that's somewhat similar to your 
Then mm-hmm. later, I don't think they had bartending and mixology classes in those days, but obviously things evolved. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it wasn't it wasn't so much like mixology in the way of like thinking about creating your own drinks, but it was there was definitely a list of. I don't know, like a hundred cocktails that we kind of had to know. And so I was actually did study recipes and it was where I learned how to make the grasshopper, which is like one of the first like kind of quote real cocktails that I ever made. Um, so yeah, it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a wash, but it definitely did not inform, you know, basically like I spent, I spent a day at PDT, my first day training and it already blew past all the, everything I learned in that oh, class right. in, yeah, in six sure. weeks. Of course. <laughs> so for sure. I know. Yeah, same same thing happened to me. So I started off working in the bar business. Um, I my first job as a bartender was a week before nine eleven. <laughs> wow! So that same week, that same week, I started working wow. at the Russian Tea Room. That was my first bartending gig, hmm. um, and I was living not too far from Columbia. I was living in um, West Harlem, um, but yeah, I remember I remember going up to uh, the Columbia area and going to some of those bars um, up up around there. That was fun. <laughs> was it the West End? Yes, that was right. the big one. Yeah, that's right. It was it was the West End. But you got so when you graduated, <laughs> you um, you kind of just um, tagged along with Don Lee and 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 just started doing things. Sort that, of. Yeah, yeah. I, I spent a few years. I actually spent two years investigating um, the complaints against the NYPD uh, for the city because uh, I thought I was going to go to law school, and oh, then wow. um, I kind of quit that, and it was sort of demoralizing in a lot of ways but uh, um and uh, i was i had actually lived in japan for three months i was considering living there but then didn't really want to make that a full-time thing and so i came back i came back to new york i was sort of i was living with my um now husband um and so i had a sort of an office i was sort of trying to find any job anywhere and i don had invited me to pdt a few times and i thought it was just so cool and i was just like wow like this is so exciting like i had this like what's Kashasa? You know, like it was just this whole world is opening up, up to me. And then I just, I'm on a whim was like, Hey, are you hiring? And he was like, yeah, like, come on and come train with me and John Darragon next Tuesday. And that's kind of how things were for a couple of weeks. And then I met Jim and then I was on Monday nights for a while and then Thursday and then Thursday and Sunday. And that was mm-hmm. basically five and a half years. Yeah. What an incredible place to start your career. Yeah. That's Unbelievable, pretty insane. Oh. Yeah, it's amazing. It was good. They wanted someone with like no baggage, and some of them right. didn't think that they knew anything right. better. So right. I, everything they told me was like the word of God. So it totally. was actually worked out perfectly. Makes sense. All around. Um, well, I want to talk about. We want to talk about the book right now, but we're going to take a quick yeah. break, and uh, we'll be right back. Hey everyone, Jonathan here. If you're into swag as much as we are, then look no further than our Cocktail Guru shop. The items in our store have been personally chosen, handpicked with care by me, I'm Jonathan, and my team of Cocktail Gurus. A water bottle with a stainless steel straw? Yep. T-shirts? Mm-hmm. Hoodies? Yeah, snapback hats, signed copies of Mr. Boston Bartender's Guide, cocktail box kits, bar tools, and more. You betcha. We've even managed to create a onesie for that mocktail lover in your family. So head on over to shop.cocktailguru.com and use code GURU23 for 10% off your first order. Great deal. That's shop.cocktailguru.com, 10% off with code GURU23. Cheers. And now we're back. So I want to bring up the book Saved by the Bellini, uh, which we, my dad and I have. And it is really a, a really lovely read. And Thank um, you. 
I love I love just the uh, the life that the book has. It kind of has a, a little bit of a life of its own. Um, you know, not only with <laughs> not only with the recipes, but also with the um, interesting uh, graphics. Both, um, you know, the drawings and the references, of course, to, um, you know, late 80s, 90s pop culture with yeah. a foreword. When I started reading this, oh, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I didn't see in the little tight in the little, um, you know, on the front cover that it says forward by Tiffany Thiessen. But when I started reading, yeah. it, I was like, who who wrote this forward? And then it said Tiffany Thiessen. I'm like, Tiffany Amber Thiessen, <laughs> now known as D1. Tiffany Thiessen. Come on. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, she I was, was she I was, was impressed. So nice. It was yeah, it was great. She's like she's in the cookbook world herself. She has a cookbook that came out a few years ago. She got another one coming out in the fall. That's like her thing. So it was it was perfect to have that connection. And you know, I, I was able to, you know, pull some strings in my editor and people yeah. knew her editor and agent. So cool. it was just really and she was just so lovely. And um yeah. Well, that that's sealed great. the deal for me. After I saw that <laughs> she wrote yes. the forward, I just plunge into that book. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I'm, I connect, I connect to this book because I am also a child of the nineties. I mean, I'm, I was born in 1979. So just a few years before yeah. you, but um, you know, all of these references I am fully aware of and was fully immersed in. And my dad, dad, you are a father of a nineties kid. So you probably, um, you know, you know, got a lot of these references and appreciated uh, these, these recipes too. Yes, and I lived. I did, and I lived through the '90s, and I watched television during the '90s. Well, <laughs> a lot of we watched Holy a lot of television shit. in the '90s, didn't we, John? Yeah, yeah. we did. <laughs> we sure did. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so what brought you? I mean, what what was the impetus behind uh, uh, this book? Well, it was. I mean, it was kind of like uh, after my first book, which was a very basically like a cocktail one hundred and one book dressed up as sort of like an autobiography. Like I think both of my books are kind of like incidentally cocktail books like <laughs> yeah um and so there's always like i always try to deliver more than just recipes i want people to like actually just like read the book you know and you know there's mm-hmm. we have stan jones bar guide with like 12 million you know recipes in, in, a, in a list um but i wanted you know i wanted to kind of like provide something a bit more so it was like where do i go from you know i did the 101 and kind of like the basics of at-home bartending and how to sort of distill everything I learned from working at PDT and Momofuku um, into a book. And then it's like, well, what's, what's the sequel to that? You know, is, is it just like more drinks? You know, that's kind of, you know, I guess, sure. That'd be fine. But I wanted Mm -hmm. something that was like kind of a little bit almost like, not like shocking, but just a little bit like absurd. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like I sort of got away with a lot in my first book. I was, I was worried that, you know, people like such as, you know, kind of like very cocktail-y people would sort of bristle at some of the um, casualness that I treat a lot of the things where it's like, look, you don't have to have this right kind of gin or to make a proper Tom Collins. Like, it's nice if you have a gin, the fancy gin, but you can have a crappy gin and you can still, if you enjoy it, then that's not my problem, you know? So kind of this like undoing a lot of the internalized like kind of snobbishness that I definitely was a part of in my early years. Uh, and I thought that maybe that would get a little bit of some ruffle some feathers, but I think it actually went the other way and people were kind of excited to have something that was a bit more um, relaxed. And so I was like, well, how can I double down on that? How can I make this like even more fun? And then also sneak in cocktail recipes that yes, sure. Some of them are pretty silly and a little bit gimmicky, but then there's a lot of them that were, if you took them out of context and put them on a, you know, put them on the PDT menu, like they wouldn't be out of place. So um, it was sort of a way of just like kind of 
doing the most absurd thing I could. And once you get the title and then the title is really what happened first, um, there's really the book kind of, there's just, it's just automatically the book just comes out because you have Saved by the Bellini. The fact that that wasn't taken by anybody, that there wasn't a Bellini out there that was called Saved by the right. Bellini was just so right. shocking to me. So I was just like, okay, we got to do this. <laughs> uh, and then that, you know, the book came together pretty quickly. You know, I, I, I also wanted to do original recipes, you know, drink what you want was mostly just like my definitive classics, you know, like this is my daiquiri, like this is my margarita. Um, but these are sort of like, this is a drink you've never really seen before or sort of a, a version, you know, like the, the D and D is basically a dark and stormy and there's mm -hmm. like a zombie riff and there's a South side, but like for the most part, the drinks are like developed with the goal of like making a punchline <laughs> and you have to like, you know, get creative. So that was another fun kind of like restriction that I gave myself in order to be able to, to come up with, you know, 60 ish cocktails. Yeah. Of, you know, yeah. Yeah. And I love, I love this particular graphic. <laughs> yeah the the That's artist's name is the artist's name is clara kirkpatrick and her instagram is is doodle deli and it was just a match made in heaven it was one of those things where i, I we barely communicated and she just was producing these these uh well, these images that were just so perfect this is relevant because jonathan and i were at a pool party over the weekend and uh, there was an ice chest there with drinks and i opened the ice chest and i found I found it to be full of Capri Sun. Wow, that's right. Didn't come true. This was this at first. I, I wasn't know where you were going with that at first because I, you said we were at a pool party, and I'm I'm thinking, wait, that's right. But it's true. We actually were at a pool party this weekend. I, I kind of forgot. Um, but I love the so all of these when when you flip to any of these recipes, it all it sparks memories um, mm -hmm. of of childhood and things that you probably haven't thought of in many many years. And I love that because memory is such an important part of um, tasting exactly. drinks and tasting food. Yeah. And to have this added element of, you know, your childhood kind of coming back in full circle um, is really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I always talk about how like storytelling is so important with cocktails, you know, with PDT, we had this elaborate menu with these descriptions and all these, you know, specific, you know, ingredients that were called out and we'd spend all this time talking to people. Um, and it really helped people, you know, you could just serve someone the same ingredients in like a red solo cup and say, here, mm -hmm. here, drink this. It wouldn't be the same. Um, so, so the kind of memory and the kind of emotional yeah. context is so important. And I think that's another aspect of this book that I find to be really exciting. is just like the feeling that you get when you make this drink that's like you know a, a, remember the tamagotchi you know like it's just a really fun thing to do so yeah and yeah and as an example the tgif cocktail so dad mm -hmm. you remember tgif and sitting and watching those shows like perfect strangers sure. and full house and um family matters but step by step dad you remember what you remember when we went to go see a taping of Step by Step? We, we oh, were wow. there in the studio audience in Los Angeles when I took you and your sister on your first trip to Los Angeles. Yes. That's right. Yes. It was, it was quite an experience. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it was my first. Well, I, I wanted to always be an actor. So to, to see that, you know, really solidified the deal. I was like, oh, I want to be on a sitcom. I want to have this. Oh. I want to do that. <laughs> And I worked in bars. So, Listen um, you know, another another <laughs> recipe that I another love. form of acting. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Indeed. A pizza anytime. Oh, yeah. is another one of my favorite recipes here in That's right. Saved by the Bellini. 
because it reminds me a little bit of a Bloody Mary. It's definitely a Bloody Mary. One, one yes, of my favorite sure. drinks. Yeah. And, and of course, um, frosted tips. I remember when everyone wanted frosted tips. <laughs> when, I was, when I was studying abroad in London, uh, I was there with some good friends. Um, and I remember one of my friends said, I'm going to get frosted tips today. And we were like, okay. And, and he did. Uh, and that was interesting. Um, what are what are some of your? I, I know I, I hate when people ask me, you know, what's your favorite cocktail mm, on the yeah. menu? You know, because they're like, and I, I always say, well, they're, <laughs> they're like, um, they're like my children, so I don't play yeah. favorites, you know. But I mean, are there are there any in this book that you're really particularly attached to? Well, I love. Um, I actually um, the the pizza anytime I think is a really good one because it's it. Not only is it is a tasty drink and is a cool you know um, riff on a Bloody Mary, but also it represents like this kind of very '90s approach to food, where there was this sort of like weird fetish for convenience, where we were like, we need to put this on the bagel in order to make this easy to eat, and that was I feel like a very kind of like you mm -hmm. know the convenience food and the packaged goods and the mm -hmm. Dunkaroos and yeah. the Capri Sun, even though the Capri Sun's been had been around for a while in the '90s, that kind of mentality towards food as like this kind of commodity product was a very kind of felt like a very '90s thing, and I think that we're also we're very much still living in that. Um, so so the drinks that kind of represent things that um, cultural. You know, artifacts from the 90s that are really like enduring and have sort of laid the groundwork for the current society that we live in for better or worse and the other one actually is the dnd &D because the story behind it is so cool i mean it's a very it's a rather straightforward um uh dark and stormy riff but the yeah. the story of the of the drink in terms of like the 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 melrose place reference is that um in a couple seasons of melrose place this um conceptual artist Mel Chin and uh, a group of artists called the Gallup Project actually like they flew to LA and tracked down the production designer or the set designer for Melrose Place and gave this person like kind of like not subversive art but like kind of very kind of edgy art to put in the background of these shots and sneaking in things like the history of alcohol and messages about racism and reproductive health and kind mm. of these sort of kind of like a little bit of a, you know, kind of not necessarily protesty, but like kind of a little bit of you know, spicy topics. And at first it was kind of quiet. And then the, and then after a while, the producers and the people in charge of the show were like, Hey, what is all this? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, what is all this art in the, in the, in the background of your, of your, of this shots? Like, what are you doing? And then eventually the, the production became very much involved with this project and ended up sort of incorporating, um, the museum, the, the museum of contemporary art that was like kind of sponsoring this in LA uh, as, so as like plot material for the, uh, for the show. Mm -hmm. And so it became this very intense, like meta moment. And that kind of like the meta textual na nature of media, uh, is like something that's very, very huge now, you know, there's like 12,000 explainer videos for every, you know, popular show that comes out and there's Easter eggs and everything's a reference, to everything else. And, you know, that's been going on forever, really. But it, I think it really went into hyperdrive in the 90s. And this was like a very good example of an early version of that. And at the time, there was no commentary on it, really. Like there was no mechanism for people to talk about it and say, hey, I spotted this. And, oh, this is who this is. Did the, you know, there was, It was just there and people yeah. just had to deal with it. And that was that was that. Um, and now we can look back on it. So I think that 
that's really exciting to me. It was just those, those, those moments. And then being able to make a drink that has like a very kind of credible, um, connection to that is, is super cool just to be able to, to, to draw that line. Um, so yeah, those are, those are two of my favorites, but they're all, they're all really good at the, the gushers one with Kirschwasser and Campari. Mm, I love oh, yeah. a lot. Mm. The, um, the, the fruity pebbles infused scotch and Grenier, yeah. uh, <laughs> drink, you know, there's some drinks, you know, you expect them all to be kind of fruity and sort of kamikaze rusty nail, you know, surfer on acid kind mm-hmm. of, but there is a lot that are like very kind of like maybe understated is kind of yeah. overselling it, but you know, kind of restrained and sort of elegant, even despite the absurd subject well, I matter. Love, I love the slap wrap because I had uh-huh. slap bracelets, of course, Same. Long, uh, rest in peace, slap bracelets. You can get them. You can get them again. Oh, you can. Yeah. Yeah. Has, has a spirit brand gotten, um, branded Ooh. slap bracelets? <laughs> no, but that's a good idea. Is Are they not dangerous anymore? I don't know. I mean, what's everything's dangerous, <laughs> right? <I know>. <laughs> Alcohol <laughs> is dangerous. Yeah, like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I E tide pods, right? Um, exactly. Yeah. And then also the, the, um, the pumps, you know, back to the future was mm-hmm. definitely one of my favorite movies and still is, um, only, only really one and two, three was a little meh. And um, three was the only one that actually took place. That was came out in the nineties. Two, two was 89. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 Um, well, we're, we're just about out of time, John, and, uh, this has been a really, really nice conversation and hopefully we'll be able to, um, catch up soon and share one of these yeah, drinks. Definitely. My pleasure. And I'll tell you, I'm going to be drinking this D and D all afternoon and through the evening as well. Sounds like a great plan. It is so good. So <laughs> thank good. you. Cool. Thank Thanks. you, John DeBarry. Thank all you, right. John. Thank you so much. Tipple Time is brought to you by J.P. Weiser's Canadian Whiskey. Hey everyone, Jonathan Pogash here. Uh, it is yet another edition of Tipple Time. Come in close, I want to speak to you a little bit about Canadian Whiskey. Oh my goodness. I've been introduced to J.P. Weiser's whiskeys. Uh, it's been several years now, and I'd like to make a cocktail for you right here using the J.P. Weiser's 10-year-old triple barrel. Um, and I love it because uh, it's, it's a delicious, first of all, it's a delicious blended Canadian whiskey, um, works perfectly in cocktails, and I also love it just on its own. Um, so I'm super psyched to make this drink for you. Uh, this is a really nice summertime raspberry sour, um, which I'll make for you right now, okay? We're gonna do a couple little twists on it. So first of all, let's go ahead and work the J.P. Weiser's 10-year-old triple barrel into the cocktail here. I'm doing an ounce and a half, all right? We're going to add in a little bit of this um, hot honey, okay? This is a hot honey syrup, and we'll do half of an ounce into our mixing glass, just like that. Oh, I I, I can smell the uh, J.P. Weiser's. It is absolutely delicious. I've got some fresh uh, lemon juice here. I'm going to add that right into my uh, mixing tin. And then I've got some raspberry jam, all right? So this, I love using, guys, I love using jam in cocktails in general. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. You don't need too much of it. So I'm just doing kind of a nice heaping teaspoon in there. All right. Oh, it is looking mighty, mighty fine. <laughs> so I've got my ice in my tin. We'll, we're going to give it a bit of a shake. You ready? All right. 
nice and chilled down. And I have my Hawthorne strainer right over here. And let me show you in the uh, close-up shot there. Straining it all out. Oh man, look at that. I'm just kind of edging out all of the liquid ingredients, shaking it out a little bit. Okay. And oh, this is a little edible flower from my garden. This is borage. Oh, I love it. I love the color. I use it a lot during the summertime. Boop, boop. I'm booping the cocktail here. And we're just putting it right on top. I'm going to give it a little bit of a sip. Okay, you ready? Uh, I smell that nice fresh raspberry. Raspberries go real, all berries really go really well with uh, whiskey. Mm. Oh yeah. Oh, that is lovely, my friends. And I'm not just saying that, really. It works really well with this hot honey um, and the J.P. Weiser's 10-year-old triple barrel. Mwah! Mwah, mwah, Italian kiss. Okay, thanks everyone. Uh, and come join us next time on Tipple Time. Cheers. Tipple Time was brought to you by J.P. Weiser's Canadian Whiskey. That does it for today's show. If you enjoy what we do, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also support the show with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. Just click on the donate button at the top of our website and choose your donation amount. To learn more about our guests, visit www.thecocktailgurupodcast.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. The Cocktail Guru Podcast is produced by First Real Entertainment and distributed by Eats Drinks TV, a service of the Center for Culinary Culture, home of the Cocktail Collection, and is available via Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, and wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Music